Welcome to Beyond the Art, where creativity knows no bounds and innovation takes center stage. Join us on a captivating journey through the realms of the Native American art world, exploring the untold stories, inspirations, and the sheer brilliance that fuels the world of Indigenous artistry. Welcome to Beyond the Art, and today we have Michael Clausen, executive direct, uh, executive editor, actually, of Native American Art and Western Art Collector magazines. Welcome to the show, Michael. Great. Thanks for having me. Glad to be on. Absolutely. Well, why don't you go ahead and just start off and tell us a little about your own personal story and journey into uh, journalism and being on these two magazines and becoming an uh, executive editor. Um, sure. Yeah, sure thing. So, uh, yeah, just I, I, you know, I'm a, I have a journalism background. I, uh, you know, went to ASU here, Arizona State University in Tempe, uh, the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism. Uh, this is back when Cronkite was still alive. So that was kind of kind of <laughs> cool. He was kind of around, uh, went there, um, basically immediately started working around in newspapers all around the Phoenix area. Um, sometimes this was more uh, hard news uh, reporting. Uh, other times it was more featurey type things. Uh, I would, mm-hmm. you know, I was a movie critic for 14 years. I was a concert photographer for nine wow. or 10 years. Why I did spectrum. a lot of things. I mean, I covered everything from obituaries to uh, school government to city government, uh, just uh, a little bit of uh, everything um, <laughs> in that time. I also did some work for Associated Press. And then also Spin Magazine. I was a you know kind of a, a stringer there on the side just for them for a, a year or so, and uh, just uh, lots of things. Uh, you know the the newspaper world. Uh, it's been uh, it's struggled over the years. Right. <laughs> so uh, you know when I saw an opportunity to leave and, and go into magazines, that's exactly what I did, and I landed in, at uh, International Artist Publishing, which is the the publisher of uh, R five titles. Uh, two of those, of course, you've mentioned Native American mm-hmm. Art Magazine and Western Art Collector. But then also we have three other titles, uh, American Art Collector and American uh, Fine Art Magazine, both of which I'm the uh, the editor of. There's an executive editor who's kind of above me, but I'm, I'm very much involved with those titles. And then there's International Artist. So five uh, five art magazines that cover basically the entire uh, the entirety of the American art market. That's a lot of fun. Wide spe- yeah, wide spectrum. So what got you interested in arts, especially Native American art? So primarily, I mean, I was coming from a background of, uh, you know, really in in music and in film. And mm-hmm. so when I started at, at the art magazines, it really wasn't that much of a, you know, a switch. I mean, obviously, fine art, there's a, a lot of, of things you pick up. There's a lot more to it than film and music and performance art and those sorts of things. But I mean, you're still dealing with a creative sort of medium. And uh, I, f- I found that I took to it really, really well. And as we started developing, you know, our different magazines and just working in the art market, just was a lot of fun working with artists. I was actually on the staff when we started our Native American art title. Um, and it, it's just it's turned out really well. It's a beautiful magazine and it puts us in touch with artists, great artists. I mean, amazing and just really talented uh, curators and museum people, um, auction houses, uh, just I mean, the works, I mean, great collectors. Um, and just being able to hear all their stories, I mean, each and every one of them has always been the best part. I mean, really, truly right. the best part of all of this. And and to hear, you know, how how artists sort of, you know, you're asking me about my journey. The artist's journey is always fascinating. And Absolutely. to find out how how they, you know, learned their skills and 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 then just excelled at them and and 
became part of the art market and started selling artwork and just really using their voice and their talents to like express these really amazing stories about themselves, about their culture and their heritage, um, all that. It's just been, it's been a blast. I've had a great time. That's fantastic. It sounds, we have a lot in common. <laughs> so what inspired the creation of a Native American, Native American art magazine and what is its mission? Our mission uh, with Native American Art Magazine is very similar to our other titles as well. Our goal for mm-hmm. those magazines, all of them, is to uh, sort of explore the market for the individual sort of genre. In Native American mm-hmm. Art's case, it's Native American art made by Native American artists. This is not artwork made by uh, by non-Native artists with uh, depictions of Native Americans. That's not it. It has to be made by Native American artists. And our goal with that magazine, as I said, and with our others as well, is really just to promote the market and to Mm -hmm. bring collectors into uh, that space where they can support the artists, support the museums, uh, and then just also build their collections. Like we really are. We're a collector magazine. That's what we sort of uh, bill ourselves as. We want the artists to participate with us because we bring uh, great collectors to the table. We want people to to see amazing art, amazing stories and say, hey, this is something I want in my home. And then they go out and support the artists or support the galleries or support the museums in whichever way they know how. And and that's really that's our mission. That's our mission. I think you might have asked a second part of that question that I might not have answered. Oh, no, it's all right. I mean, that. Basically, what what inspired the creation of this magazine initially? Was it a a void in the publication and print, or was it just a need and someone was interested in actually participating in uh, promoting Native American art, Native American artistry and the artist? Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, at at the very beginning, the, the reason we started this magazine, we had gotten word that there was the big magazine at the time was going to be shutting down. And it was for no other reason than the publisher of the publication just was just kind of done doing it. <laughs> I don't know if there was just uh, if there was age was a factor or just uh, it just consumed a lot of time. Right. Um, we had no sort of in- inkling to, to even think that it was market uh, driven, like maybe there wasn't uh, a need for it or anything like that. We just heard that the publisher just didn't want to do it. Wow. And when we heard that, we thought, well, we have the resources here already to basically fill fill the vacuum there with that other magazine. Let's let's do it. And we like I said we'd already pr- been producing four other titles mm-hmm. uh, related to different aspects of the American art market. Why not do this? And that's exactly what we did. So we we think that we thought then and we still do we're, we're filling uh, a hole within the market. And uh, one of the things that we also do that was kind of unique, that magazine uh, was more historic. It was really about historic material. And other magazines we had seen or other things that had other magazines that had at least uh, written about Native American art had been more contemporary. So we what we thought we would do is let's let's combine them. And, it, you know, to this day, I think we're really the, the, the big magazine when it comes to historic and contemporary Native American art. We really believe that both of those need to be seen together. The historic material, of course, just to, to, to show people what has been made and sort right. of the importance of that older work. And then the newer work by, by artists who are living today, I mean, that's the future. That's what we're really excited about. And that's what we point all of our collectors to. It's like, hey, go out and meet the artists, go to the shows, go to the markets and experience all of this. It's a living market. It's alive. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, there's a lot of things to do if you want to right. <laughs> if you want to start uh, traveling and hitting the shows. You, you're going to be very busy. You can get on the market circuit, as they call it, yes, you can. <laughs> and make the rounds. How does the magazine aim to promote and preserve Native American art and culture? I mean, really, it's just every issue is about new shows that are opening, new work that's available. We like mm-hmm. to think that the work that you see you know, at a show, you know, that we're covering, these are pieces that you're going to see in museums in 20 years. Uh, there's just no doubt about it. You know, when we cover a show like the Herd Indian Market or the Santa Fe Indian Market or any of the other markets at the Idle Jorg or the Autry or wherever mm-hmm. these may be, the the pieces that are winning those awards, the artists that are winning those awards, you're going to see those people in the magazine long before they start winning those big pieces. Right. So, uh, you know, in 20, 30, 40 years, it's it's our hope that when you scan through old copies of the magazine, you're going to see these great artwork. It's now it placed in major collections. It's in museums. These artists are at the pinnacle of their careers. <laughs> we like right. to think that we're finding we're finding these artists and, and not really finding them. We're not discovering them. We're just we're just noticing, hey, these are artists that are doing something very special. Let's give them a microphone and let them shout that out to the world. Let's put a spotlight on them. Absolutely. Yep. So you you actually have a podcast as well. So how does the podcast differ from the, the print publication? And tell us a little bit about that podcast. Well, as as you know, uh, voice is uh, is one thing, and reading text is entirely another. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> our podcast is called the American Art Collective. We uh, we have two hosts. I'm one of them. Maggie Civic is our other host, and we just sort of uh, take take on different artists. We interview different artists, people within the art market, curators, uh, gallery owners, collectors. I mean, we've really had a huge number of people on. I think we're up to 220 episodes right now. Wow. We started in March of 2020. Oh gosh, 20, March of 2021. I almost said 2020, but I was like, that's definitely not right. March of 2021 <laughs> is when we started and we've been going weekly since then, just like interviewing these just great, great people. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the podcast draws from all of our magazines. So, I mean, one week you might hear a story related to our American fine art magazine. In fact, I just interviewed yesterday, someone, a gallery owner who's been promoting the career of uh, Lynn Drexler, who was an abstract expressionist painter. Uh, post-war period. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one has really known. I mean, she's not really gotten a lot of press. Right. She died in 1999. And we had this gallery owner who was talking about, here's an artist that's really important. Here's why she's becoming more important. And it was a lot of fun because that dealt with that magazine. Now, the very, uh, you know, uh, next week or the week prior, we could have someone from our Western title on or our Native American title. We have had n- a number of really, really great episodes related to our Native American magazine and uh, just, I mean, artists, curators, um, collectors, just really uh, fascinating people. So it's a wider, broader spectrum of the art world, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily just focused on Native American art, but all aspects of art in general. Yeah. And, and I think that that's one of the things that we're hearing a lot from, uh, you know, listeners, people mm-hmm. who are maybe have a passing interest in sort of American uh, contemporary realism say uh maybe they have a couple artists that, that are their favorites whether it's um you know jeremy lipking or mark majori or something like that they have sort of a a, a just a, a passing interest in in art mm-hmm. they start listening to our podcast and they go oh my gosh i didn't realize that the art market 
was so big. We, they didn't realize there were so many components, <laughs> right? Like, uh, you know, th- there's, you know, if you're interested in Western art, there's 40 shows that happen every year related to Western art that are just really key, amazing, wonderful shows that you can go to. There's, you know, that, that market has its own artists, its own events, mm-hmm. its own things. And you start looking at the individual sort of segments of the American art uh, community and it's like that everywhere. And Native exactly, American art is yeah. certainly a part of that as well. You know, you go to Santa Fe and and you could, uh, there, there's contemporary galleries, there's historic galleries, there's lots of things, but you could also just spend an entire day and you'd probably need three or four days, but hit all the Native American art galleries, all the Native American art museums, all of the cultural sites. I mean, there's so Absolutely. much there and you start digging into it and if if Native American art is is an interest for you, suddenly like there's like a whole new world to explore. Mm-hmm. So that brings up a question: Have you seen on your end and also in the publication and print and content the ebb and flow of Native American art and the interest, especially now given the the focal point of everything else that's going on in film and television and uh, various other artists getting recognition on a global scale? Do you see that upscale again and do you think it's going to last that we're actually, we're here to stay, <laughs> you know, we are yeah. an art form. We're not uh, the trinket on the side of the road that you're getting while you're driving through uh, New Mexico or something, you know? Right. Right. And, and I mean, people who know, they know about the market, they know about the artists, but yeah, I think what you're talking about is just like getting that, getting that sort of part of the culture sort of more broader, more mainstream. And I do think that there is things happening right now. I credit a lot of this to people like Sterling Harjo Mm -hmm. and uh, Chris Eyre and just like these really great, uh, you know, film and TV uh, directors and writers. I mean, they're really doing amazing things on television and on film. I mean, specifically television. I mean, Reservation Dogs is huge. It's, I mean, the cultural impact of Reservation Dogs is amazing. And if you watch that show really closely, I mean, it's full of art, it's full of artists. And I think it's bringing people into the community a little bit more. And I think we're going to see that a a little bit more often, especially as these really great uh, directors and writers and actors, as they become more mainstream, as like people recognize, hey, like we've not We've not had a great uh, record of representation in Hollywood. Sure. Maybe we bring <laughs> these voices in more. As you bring those voices in, I think you're going to see sort of that cross pollination into art because people mm-hmm. get interested. You know, there was that first season of Reservation Dogs that had there was a plot point where one of the characters had a medallion that was a microphone. Of course, I've seen yeah. the show. It doesn't really look like a microphone, but that 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 moment in the mo- in the show was sort of a touchstone for some people and you know anyone that who who was aware of those medallions those beaded medallions probably laughed at that and enjoyed that and <laughs> if you weren't aware of it you, you know now you're like being exposed to like fine art and if you went to Santa Fe uh, art market that next year the artist was around uh, the piece had sold long sold but she was selling stickers with that medallion uh, you know a picture of the medallion as a sticker and i think that it brings people together and you know again i don't think tv's going to save the market, the market, the, the Native American art market's doing just fine. But being able to bring new people in is always a nice thing to, to happen. Mm-hmm. And give a more, I guess, a larger spotlight on the, the Native American art world in general. Right. People are actually seeing, you know, it's not just 
it's not just the turquoise and other elements, but you know, there's the culinary arts, there's fashion now, and and so much other stuff going on. So, and we've actually your, seen we've seen a, a variety of some of those culinary events, which is kind of fun. Yeah, because it's I think there was one just recently. There was it was paired with pottery, so it was pottery mm-hmm. and and col- like a culinary experience. And so they had someone making authentic, you know, a Diné food, or, or I, I forget the exact circumstances, but to have that sort of <laughs> to have food and pottery together is such an exciting thing. It's and I don't yeah. know that we would have seen that, uh, you know, I wasn't around uh, in this in this field thirty years ago, but I'd love to talk to old collectors. Like, was anyone doing that thirty years ago? Because it seems right. pretty novel right now. Exactly. So on your podcast, are the guests? Usually in the print material as well. Do you just kind of give them a, a further expansion of their story and in more in depth conversation, or is it you kind of choose select otherwise? That's a good question. We the podcast is entirely its own uh, thing. We like mm-hmm. to think that if you re- if you get the magazine, you're going to get one experience there, and if you listen to the podcast, you're going to get an entirely different experience. We do sometimes uh, bring in guests that we've recently featured in the magazine only because when we feature them in the magazine, it usually presents a really great opportunity for us to say, hey, this has been a really great conversation. Why don't we take it to our podcast? And almost everyone says yes. They want to be a part of that. They want to tell their stories. Mm-hmm. But we do see it as a different a different animal. Like the podcast is its own thing. We can maybe we didn't have room for a certain artist or a certain grouping of artists in the magazine we can then put them into the podcast and it can be its own thing and oftentimes the the podcast interviews are very just free-flowing they're just conversations whereas sometimes our our print coverage is more focused on a show or a theme or a exhibition and whereas when we have the artist on the podcast we can literally talk about whatever i tell them you, we can go wherever you'd like to go this is a very you know and like this podcast is very conversational it's it. meant to just kind of meander and who yeah. knows what direction we're going to head in but it's all going to be great you'd be surprised as you know yeah. <laughs> sometimes the direction what is the actual editorial process uh for the magazine and also how is that content is selected for each issue is there a thematic or is there a focus or how is that content content actually selected and chosen? Yeah, certainly. So uh, another great question. I, I can I can answer that. So each issue of the magazine is really about, again, going back to this idea that we're a collector's magazine and mm-hmm. our collectors want to participate in the community. So they will have access to uh, previews of shows, new exhibitions opening. We really want to make it a very, uh, you know, like everything that's in that issue, you can go to or see, (coughs) excuse me, Mm -hmm. you can go to or see everything in the issue. And most of the artwork is available for purchase. Now, obviously, there's going to be some things. Museum exhibitions often don't have things like those things are part of collections. You cannot own them. So there always is going to be some exception to that. But like our gallery previews, our event previews, we like to think that everything in those those edit, the, those editorial, you know, those articles uh, is going to be available for collectors. So they mm-hmm. can then decide, our readers can then decide, like, is this something I want to own? Is this an event that I should go to? So really, like, that's our ultimate goal. Let's highlight the things. Now, we're a bi-monthly, so we go out every other month. Let's highlight everything that's happening in that two-month window. 
all the shows, all the new openings, all the auctions, and really give everyone a, a nice sort of cross section of what the, those next two months are going to look like. And then, but we also have room for other things. We have features from our outside writers and we have sort of special themes that we do special sections. Like we just finished our December, January issue mm-hmm. and it has our jewelry section in it, which is always like hugely popular. <laughs> like that's one of our, our most popular sections every single year. So we had a ton <laughs> of great uh, jewelers. We had just some really uh, incredible uh, editorial features. We had a buyer's guide. We had all, we have all kinds of things. And if you're interested in jewelry, it's all right there. But like, really, like I also, I should mention, I really depend a lot on, on our, our freelance writers, mm-hmm. um, especially like our Native American writers. I myself am not Native American. I think that, that needs to be made very clear. But we like to we like to highlight the fact that we use Native American writers whenever possible. Uh, and we also interview all of the artists. So the artists have the opportunity to tell their own stories. But I mean, Fantastic. we have some really, really amazing writers. I mean, writers that I just I cannot wait to get their emails because they they're always <laughs> pitching me on just like really, really great stuff. Um, one that I just want to shout out right now is Jessa Ray Growing Thunder. We've been working with Jessa Ray for about a year, maybe a year and a half. And she is brilliant. And I, you know, I just, I love working with her. She's so smart. She's such a good writer. And she brings just like this really intense sort of passion to what she does. Uh, and, and her whole family, I mean, uh, Juanita Growing Thunder and all of, I mean, there's the, it, the Growing Thunder family is very, very talented, but uh, we're really happy to work with people like Jessa Ray, who just are so knowledgeable about the market, about the material and then just know the artists and the stories and they bring their own perspective to this. So, I mean, we really like to think that native Americans are speaking, you know, directly to our readers and letting them know why this stuff is important and what, you know, like their processes and Mm -hmm. their inspiration and, you know, like the themes that they're talking about, we don't like to shy away from anything. And we're just really happy to have such great uh, writers and artists that we can feature. So are, are they part of the selection process of stories they want to cover or is it preset for each um, each printed material? I mean, I start working on an issue. So like uh, we just finished December, January. I'll take like a week off on that magazine to just kind of let it simmer and kind of think about what we just did and everything else. But I mean, we start working on the next issue almost immediately. So you know, our next issue is our herd Indian market issue, mm-hmm. and we are the official magazine to the herd, um, the herd market. So we do like to put a lot of attention into that. So a lot of things in the next issue are related to the herd or more specifically just to the Phoenix area in general. Although we do mm-hmm. have outside shows because they're the, the market, even though it's all sort of centered in Phoenix, you know, at the beginning of March, there are still lots of other things happening. So, I mean, I have ideas that we're working on, but really like our outside writers, when they pitch me something, uh, we usually take it. And if we don't take it as is, then we, then we, you know, we, we tweak it a little bit or say, Hey, can we focus on this? But like our outside writers are very much involved in our magazine. And and again, it's, I don't think I've, I've maybe said no to like one or two articles (laughs) in the the three years since I've, you know, I've been the editor. Like we we really like to, we really like to, to, you know, let our writers uh, come up with these great ideas, bring them to us. Mm -hmm. We'll tweak them if we need to, but generally uh, they're involved in the editorial process. What challenges or opportunities do you see in covering native American 
arts in today's media landscape? Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think the, with native American art, I think it's, it's very uh, interesting. The social media still plays a a huge part in a lot. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think still, you know, getting artists involved in social media to, you know, to promote their own work. You know, that was uh, an interesting project that Swaya, the the organization that runs Santa Fe Indian Market, a number of years ago, they were just like, you know what, we have all of these older artists who are doing these great things like these, these beaters and these potters, and some of them are in their 70s, 80s, 90s, and they don't have, you know, digital storefronts, they don't have social right. media, they don't have uh, basically anything, and they go to right. the shows, they don't even have the capability of like taking a credit card for a purchase. <laughs> True. So, I mean, some of them are such rural communities that, you know, they don't have right. the access to it. So, so Swaya, and, and again, this wasn't mandatory, but they said, if anyone needs help, we will help you. And so they made it their sort of goal. If anyone needed these things, they set up, uh, you know, I forget what it was called, but there was an, a, a component of Swaya where they would help people get online. They would help them, you know, they would show them how to, how to have a social media page and how to communicate with people, you know, how to set them up with, you know, the a credit card reader <laughs> or mm-hmm. just like help them have a digital storefront. And again, you know, some artists didn't want it. Some artists were right. like, no, I, I, I sell it at Santa Fe Indian market and at the herd and that's it. And that's all I need. I don't need <laughs> all of these bells and whistles. I'm very happy with my system and that's totally fine. But then there were some artists that were like, you know what, we will take that. We will take that help. And now there's artists that are online uh, and they probably <laughs> they probably never thought they would be like online in a digital capacity. But having a storefront, being able to take credit card purchases. I mean, these are barriers sometimes for purchases. Right. You know, when someone comes to Santa Fe and they only have a credit card and ATMs are, you know, few and far between, you know. Uh, being able to take a credit card is is really key. I mean, it, it, and for some of these artists, it depends. You know, they could have a sale or they could not have a sale based on whether they take a credit card or not. So these little mm-hmm. things about, you know, just like being an artist, being, uh, you know, your own business. Uh, you know, the fact that SWAI and other organizations are trying to help artists mm-hmm. is always fascinating. And I love th- to hear these great stories about, uh, you know, artists in their 70s and 80s going, yeah, this is it. It's time. I'm yeah. going to be on Instagram. <laughs> some of them, I mean, I friended some of them. I follow some of them on Instagram and it's, it's always, it's always fun to watch, uh, to watch them create, you know, put their work out there. Whereas before they couldn't. And it's, so right. it's fun. Yeah. I, I've, I've approached a few uh, artists to come on the show. It's like, no, I don't do interviews or they're very shy because mm-hmm. part of the persona of native American artists is sometimes is they sell their art, but it's not about, selling themselves which Mm. kind of goes hand in hand and they don't want to tell their stories because they're a little shy or they self-promoting i guess you could call it you know and and we've dealt with that too and and the thing that i like to tell people is um you know the 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 oral history is important Mm -hmm. even if you don't want to promote yourself if that's really uncomfortable just think of it as you are you know you're saving your voice for posterity uh, you know, I think that it's important that these stories get out and, you know, there's, there's some artists who don't share their histories with their family, like their right. personal histories. They True. just, maybe life was difficult and they don't want to talk about it. And and I'm not forcing them to talk about it, but I think it's important just to hear these artists voices. And if they want to talk about their upbringing or their journey as an artist, 
I think it's important that we, we have that. And I think of mm-hmm. like all the artists that, that have, you know, that have come and gone, you know, uh, I was just in Santa Fe recently and, and they had a video, it's a famous video. PBS did a, a, a little documentary with Maria Martinez where she was talking about her process uh, and you actually see her fire pots and you hear her voice. And I just, I love that video. We've shared it a number of times. And I mean, Maria Martinez, probably one of the most famous potters, uh, you know, in the country, mm-hmm. Native American or otherwise. And we have like this great piece of film of her and her husband, like piling up the pots, uh, you know, putting putting the, the, the cow dung, the manure over it with the soil and lighting it on fire and and firing their pots and then digging through them afterwards. And you hear her voice and you see her process. And to just think like that morning, if she would have told PBS or whoever was recording, you know, I just don't really feel like this. And that that piece of film would have been lost. It would have been we would have never had it. So I'm so yeah. grateful that like things like that exist. And I think it's important when I tell, talk to artists, just share your story, you know, yeah. even if you don't want to listen to it, don't listen to it. I don't listen to my episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I just just record it, just record it. And it's out there. It's out there for anyone to listen to. And when you're gone, you know, you, your artwork will be around and people will have the chance to hear your voice and to hear your story in your own words. I think that's really important. And I think also they don't understand that it can be very inspirational or motivate someone else that's going through the same journey, so to speak, right. uh, very similarities that sharing that it's like, as we all know, as humans, we're not alone. But oh, completely. Doing the same thing. Completely. Yeah. I, we, we, I, I'm working on a, uh, an episode for our Western magazine and th- this artist is amazing. I'm, I'm really excited to have him on. I, for some reason, I just don't think the episode is going to happen. And I'm so sad because the artist is kind of getting up there in age and, and I'm just the thought of, of not having his story on our show is just, it, it makes me sad. Now I did find out that this artist had uh, uh, done another interview with someone else. So I'm like, at least that's out there. So <laughs> hope. I'm not even jealous. Like, I mean, I guess I am a little jealous, but I mean, just knowing that that story's out there is really neat. In fact, this is yeah. a little off topic, but um, uh, StoryCorps and NPR, they they promote like a thing that you can do like on your own. You don't even need mm-hmm. a podcast to do this anymore. You can record your your relatives, your grandparents, your, you know, your, your parents. Uh, you can record that and they give you, uh, you know, some guidelines, what questions to ask. And when you're done with the interview, you can upload it and it just like basically goes into a time capsule. And, and, and so anyone can look at just from now till forever, apparently. Right. But I, I've always been telling people like, I, you know, my own my own parents, I think how cool it would be to just have their voice for them to tell their stories and no, it wouldn't be broadcast out to a million people, but like I would have it and it would be searchable in a, in a database somewhere on oral histories that anyone can access my kids, my grandkids. So I think that this, what you and I are doing is pretty cool, but also like it doesn't even require you or me. It can, it can right. just be <laughs> someone on their own, just record, record a story and save it is I think is the key thing. Very true. Well, I hope none of my family watches this in 20 years. I'd be all like, ah, what happened? Uh, you, are say there any that, specific- you say that, but they, <laughs> I think anyone, you know, who cares about you or they'll watch this, they'll go, oh man, that's him. That was, that was what yeah. he did. That's what he A did. period in time. <laughs> he interviewed that guy from the magazine or whatever. Like 
no one's going to care really about me or, or, or what we're talking about, but they're going to hear your voice and see you. And that's important to people. True. True. Are there any specific cultural sensitivity sensitivities or considerations that uh, guide portraying Native American art and culture? Oh my gosh. Uh, so many. Yes. Yeah. Uh, an unbelievable amount. So much care has to be taken in this particular segment of the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, American fine art, you know, just real quick on some of our other titles, American fine art, uh, historic art, what you're seeing right now in museums and in collections is people are going, you know what I need, I have a gap. I don't have women artists or I don't have people of color. Let's fix that. And that's happening in Western art. We have this thing with, uh, with cowboy gear where Mm -hmm. someone will say, Oh, you, you showed the saddle wrong or you showed the lasso (laughs) wrong. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of sensitivity to, can you please get the cowboy stuff? Right. I mean, with Native American art, it goes so far above and beyond those things. It's really True. incredible. Yeah. I mean, one, each tribe is different. Each nation is different. I mean, there's so many ceremonies. There's so many different things that we have to be aware of. I mean, we're trying to hit this 100%. We don't ever want to be in in the wrong on this. It's tricky. I'm sure like we've, if you were to look at every page of the magazine, we've probably missed some. But we're we're trying really, really hard to make sure that any object that's for ceremonial use, you know, that shouldn't be photographed or shouldn't be shown in a magazine is never done. We don't want to do that. Different aspects of different ceremonies that artists talk about. I mean, we've been told things like, oh, this is how a ceremony works. And then the artist will call us later and be like, you know what? I just, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't think I should have told you some of those things. Please don't run them. (laughs) And that is just like, we take such care on that stuff. We do not want to be in the wrong on anything. We want to respect every culture, every tribe, every ceremony. Um, where it gets a little trickier is the historic material. Like if you watch the historic uh, market, you, you, you'll see all kinds of things. Um, mm-hmm. 1800 era, you know, uh, 1800s era weapons and uh, um, pottery and uh, shirts and items of clothing. And a lot of people ask these questions. We see them in our comments. Like, how do you know this wasn't stolen? How do you know this wasn't taken from someone or someone was murdered for it? And then it ended up on a market later on. And I mean, the truth is we don't know. We really rely a lot on our, our partners, like our, some of our, our partners in this, this endeavor. We, we just, we, we really are hopeful that, that like care is being done as far as like where these materials are coming from. And everything else. And I think it comes down to we have we just have great people that we work with. The auction houses that we work with, they don't want this stuff on their in their catalogs. They don't want these materials, these stolen materials, these sacred materials. They don't want to they don't want to be involved with those. And we like working with partners like that, that take this as serious as we do. You know, a number of years ago, there was a French auction house that was selling different objects related, I think, to the Hopi people that were very sacred. And they were just like thumbing their nose at the whole thing. Like, we're going to do this and there's nothing you can do to stop us. And it just really made people really upset. We don't ever want to work with a partner like that that's going to just say, yeah, tough, tough, (laughs) you know, tough going on this. Sorry, we're going to sell it. This is money. We're going to make it. That's the way it is. We don't want to hear that. We want to hear our partners take this very seriously. So if something ever comes up in an auction and it's, you know, there's question as to whether it was stolen or it was a sacred object, 
we really we were we're very happy to hear that they pull these items from the sales. They correct this as often as possible. And it's just great to hear. I mean, there's so much heat that, that can come from those objects. No one really wants to be a part of them anyway, which right, is right. kind of nice. I mean, so many Native American groups have rightly, um, you know, protested and um, done different, uh, different, different things to, to, uh, to say, hey, like, this is not okay. And I think it's important when, when, when we work with different auction houses, they take this very seriously. They don't want, they don't want to get involved with that. And we agree. They don't, they, they do not need to be involved with that. All right. I mean, that's just one aspect. There's so many others too. Um, I, I don't know if you want to go in any other particular direction, but that's something that we think about. No, I mean, uh, tell us, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just out of due respect. And some people I think are blindsided by that, that component. And it's just, do respect of what you're doing and how you're portraying uh, that particular art or those people that you're representing, you know? Um, unfortunately, cash is greed and, you know, some people don't see through that. Yeah. I was just telling someone yesterday, there was this NPR show and I, uh, I forget what it was. There was this really beautiful story about this man who was, was, was hiking in the deep, deep country somewhere. And he was, he was up on a, on a, on a mountain and there was a cave and in the cave, there was this perfectly preserved pot just mm-hmm. sitting there. And he goes, I, he goes, for all I know, I was the first person to lay eyes on that pot since it was left. And, wow. and he just, he looked at it and just left it. And he said, it felt kind of weird leaving it, but that was the right thing to do. So he had told the story to a bunch of people and they thought, let's go back and see if it's still there. And they weren't going to take it. They weren't going to anything. They just were going to go look for it to see if it was still mm-hmm. there. And uh, they went looking for it and they, they couldn't find it. And they had spent two uh-huh. days walking to the spot and couldn't find it. And they finally realized that the mountain, that part of the mountain, had there had been a landslide. And it had either crushed it in, in, in the landslide or just buried the entrance to this little mm-hmm. cave. And there was, there was some poetry in that, that that piece, it, uh, it hap- what happened to it happened to it. And uh, I just remember thinking how how beautiful that story was. You know, we we just are sort of we're just observers in this in this adventure to a right, certain right. degree. Uh, you know, there's times when we can intervene and and be a part of it, and there's times when we can't. And I right. think it's important to know, you know, where you know where you stand on that. And I think as collectors, we tell collectors talk to the artists, talk to them about their stories, know when it's appropriate to sort of be involved in the culture and know when it's, it's, it's appropriate to maybe take a step back and let native Americans have what they have. And, and, you know, (laughs) there's so many collectors who like want to go to every festivity and every celebration. And it, you know, at some point it's, at some point we're just observers and we need to take a step back. And and I think it's the educational component too, because, you know, early on in the television, how the Native American was portrayed, and it was almost cartoonish and Disney-esque. So they think powwows is just a, a performance or a show. It's like, no, there's a lot of cultural elements to it that are private. Um, <clears throat> so we're not just putting on a show <laughs> for an audience. Yeah, oh, yeah, without a doubt. I do, how like, do, you see- how, I do like how... how uh, the Native American community is very embracing to outsiders. Yeah. <laughs> they want to, you know, you, you're talking about some of those aspects of early Hollywood and uh, some of the portrayals. And I, I think that, um, you know, Native Americans 
after that, after some of those shameful things that were done, Native Americans saw an opportunity. We can maybe educate people. Correct. Yeah. And I think that there, that sort of spirit of education and outreach is really, you really feel that at a lot of events and Native American artists want to, to tell people, they want to tell people about their culture, about their practices, about, um, you know, their life ways and different mm. things. And so it's, it is a very open and accepting community because, you know, there's, you could go back to old Hollywood and have these terrible portrayals or you can have a public that is more knowledgeable and more respectful. And I think that, you know, obviously there's one of those is better. <laughs> right. Right. Well, knowledge is growth. And I think that's why we tend to be a little bit open. So you understand instead of characterizing and not understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you see the role of the magazine in supporting emerging native American artists, both in the print and also in the podcast? I mean, we, I think that this is, uh, this is our bread and butter. We love, yeah. we love highlighting new artists. And uh, I mean, it's fantastic. Uh, every year for our herd issue, for our Santa Fe Indian market issue, we really get a chance to like look at some of the new artists who are out there. I mean, we see these lists uh, year after year. We know the artists that are new. Mm-hmm. We, we recognize, hey, like, hey, this is a name I've not heard from. Uh, let's see what their work is. Uh, and then also just like the gallery shows. Um, I love that museums are taking uh, some risks on some new artists. In fact, we, we just had a piece on uh, Michaela Patton who won this, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to attempt to remember what the, the fellowship was, but she won this huge grant and was only one of a handful of native Americans to win this grant for American mm-hmm. art. And Michaela Patton is in our next issue. And, and I'm just thinking, wow, this is this is phenomenal. She's her work is so interesting. And I think that our readers are going to really respond to it. But uh, she's not on a lot of people's radars. I mean, if you if you're in sort of the contemporary uh, Native American art space, you know, you know who Michaela Patton is. But she's also kind of a new a new name to others. So we're excited to bring people like that to the forefront, but also even artists that that haven't won awards that are just literally just barely coming out and, <laughs> and exploring things. I was just in Santa Fe not that long ago, and we were talking to uh, some gallery owners and some different people who were kind of really watching the work of Robert uh, Begay, who mm-hmm. is uh, uh, Daryl Dean Begay's uh, son, I, b- I believe. I believe so, yeah. Young, young artist. Uh, it's amazing. Like the work he's making is amazing. And I'm just thinking, wow, this is great. You know, one thing I tell people to do with all of the markets that have youth, uh, youth categories, go to the youth part. Sometimes they're like off to the side or they're in a different room or right. you just kind of have at Santa Fe Indian market. You kind of have to hunt for the youth artists a little bit. But if you can find those youth artists, I mean, those are the artists that are going to be winning awards in as little as two or three years. Like n- no doubt about it. And watch, their work is usually home. they're usually just coming up. So their work is still affordable. And yeah. <laughs> you can so you can buy a piece. Uh, you know, that's not $10,000, but maybe $1,000. You can support them as they're rising up. But you're also sort of like, it's like stocks, right? Like you're right. buying, you're buying a stock early. Early on. <laughs> These artists are, they're, they're going to be huge. So go look at the youth uh, presentations, support those youth artists. I've, I've never bought a bad piece from a youth comp- competition. 
And those artists are all going to be mainstream artists before long. So it's, it's a lot of fun, but yeah, to your point about contemporary artists, new artists, this is what we're here for. We're really happy to do that in, in every issue. Can you highlight any upcoming or recent features or projects that readers and listeners should be excited about for both the podcast and the print? Oh yeah. Gosh. Um, I mean, there's so many, um, I've mentioned the herd, uh, show, okay. A couple of times the herd market is uh, a lot of fun if you haven't gone it's definitely worth checking out it's a good it's a great market um and it's the herd museum so like the component you know santa fe indian market is great because you have access to lots of museums this is actually the herd museum the herd market's actually on the museum campus right. and the museum is free if you go to the market and it's always nice because you know march in, in uh in arizona is usually beautiful every now and again it's a little warm so you go out kind of view the 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 booths you know the artists with in their booths and then when you need a break you go inside the museum and just sort of just sort of stand in awe of all the work there um this year they're doing a maria martinez modernism show which we're really really excited about i know that that's something that's on uh that's on my plate in front of me i'm excited to write about that i'm, I'm not personally writing about it yet we haven't actually assigned it but we just learned about it there's going to be a maria martinez modernism show at the herd during the market and it looks amazing uh something else that's really kind of neat uh that's ha- that just happened not that long ago in early october the basha collection was mm-hmm. announced um they they're going to uh, donate the basha collection to two museums here in the phoenix area one of them is western spirit scottsdale's museum of the west and the second one is the herd museum now the basha collection is this huge i think there's more than two thousand pieces of art in uh, chandler and it was owned and collected by Eddie Basha, who was the the grocery store uh, figure here in Arizona. If you live in Phoenix, you know Eddie Basha. He died in 2013, but he was sort of a uh, a, a, a big a figure. People knew him. He ran for governor mm-hmm. at one point. So he was on TV a lot with his ads. And he was also in his grocery store ads. He just was like a larger than life character who loved art. A lot mm-hmm. of his, his collection is Western art. But him and his wife, Nadine Basha, did collect a number of just beautiful uh, baskets and also pottery as well. So all of those pieces, I mean, essentially the entire collection is going to be split among the two museums with a large portion of Native American material going to the herd. And the herd is going to start promoting that and they're going to do some some exhibitions on the material, which is really great because they also have some really I mean, they have other great collections there at the herd. But um that's something that we're we're just sort of learning more about now. And, um, you know, something else I'm really excited about for our next issue, our December, January issue, is uh, we have a profile on Shane Hendren. Uh, he's a jeweler. He works primarily in silver, although he does mm-hmm. do gold and turquoise. But he's really a silversmith. And uh, he is on our cover for our December, January issue with just this stunning necklace in silver. Uh, he, he works kind of in a Western sort of style. He does a lot of silver engraving and he himself is, I I, I don't know if it's fair to call him a cowboy. He might call himself (laughs) a cowboy. I do know that he rides daily. He knows how to rope. He knows how to ride very much. Uh, you, 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 I've never seen him without a cowboy cowboy. hat. (laughs) I mean, he's very much entrenched in sort of the Western way of life. And he's bringing that sort of look to his native American jewelry and he's on our cover and you can also see him. He does Santa Fe Indian market. He does the herd. 
market. We're really excited to have him in our magazine where he can talk about his new work and just you really see how stunning it all is. He's he's fantastic, by the way. We've had him on our podcast and his story is really is really uh, touching and, uh, and and wonderful. He's uh, a, a, just a fantastic figure in the jewelry world. So what inspires and motivates you uh, in this profession and also covering Native American art? I'm going to just kind of go back to what we had already said earlier. It's, it's the stories. It's the individual stories. It's allowing our sources, whether they be the artists, the curators, the the collectors, whoever it may be, for them to just share their stories. Uh, you know, I, I like to think that, you know, as you said, um, or I, I think I said, it, we put a microphone in front of their face. Right. Uh, and I think you said spotlight. And that's really, that's all we're doing. We are facilitating the paper and the ink, but I like to think that it's the artists themselves that are telling their stories and filling our magazine. Uh, you know, there's just so many great ones out there. I mean, every story is amazing. And we've learned this on the podcast. There's no two stories that are alike. Oh, no. You, know, you start asking <laughs> people how they how they came up in, in the art world and, and places they went and things they did. And when you get one artist who says, you know, I, I learned from my dad. I went to IAIA. I, you know, I, I won a fellowship. I, then I was selected into market. And that's their story. And then you right. meet someone else and they're like, I had no one. My parents weren't artists. I had to learn on my own. I wasn't accepted at IAIA. Right. I, uh, I didn't have gallery representation until my 30s. I wasn't accepted into Indian market until my 40s. And now I'm doing what I love. And it's just to have those two stories exist, along with a million other stories, all of them different, is always so much fun to just, uh, you know, and to, to, to ask the artist what they're thinking and what they're doing and and sort of where they came from. I mean, that's, that's what I'm here for. Can you think of one story or were you surprised of a particular guest and their story, either in print or the podcast? Yeah. Well, you know, the one, the one that I like to, to sort of bring up when we were starting our podcast, one of our first guests was Dallin maybe who, um, you know, who was the director of uh, Swaya for a number of years. Mm -hmm. He does these really uh, incredible sort of, uh, futuristic um, works that they, they reference pop culture, they reference movies, they reference a lot of things, but he's very sort of a conceptual artist, but, uh, but also, you know, he uses traditional methods, you know, beadwork and painting and different things. But I mean, he's a, a fascinating individual and we had him on the podcast and, you know, we were talking about his, uh, his other life, which is he's a, he's a lawyer, he's an attorney. And he's really out there, you know, he, he, as often as he can, he's talking about Native American art, uh, you know, Native American issues, um, land issues and all kinds of things. And I just, I always like that episode because it shows that he's, I mean, certainly he's an artist uh, and he's in that sort of, he's in the art market and he's in that sort of realm, but he's also doing these other things that are very much involved with Native Americans and how they live their lives and, you know, their rights and their land issues and water issues. I mean, it's, it's remarkable. I, I like that story. That's one that I think about. And there's so many, it's hard to right. cherry pick one or two, but <laughs> his, his popped into my mind right away. I'm sure this is a, a question that I have to ask you. Has there any, been any guest 
that just like shuts down and doesn't talk. And once you start going, it's like, oh no, you got to pull everything from them to answer one question. No, oh gosh. I, I mean, we haven't had that yet. We no. usually oh, lucky kinda, you. <laughs> yeah. We usually do like a pre-screen and I'm sure, yeah. you know, you do, you do as well. And um, every now and again, there's artists that will take off our list just because um, we think that it might be painful for them or our listeners. Um, not that we would, we would never uh, use those things against them in the printed magazine. In fact, we've taken artists off our podcast, uh, sh- you know, our list and moved them into the magazine where mm. their voices yeah. could be better represented. You mm-hmm. know, these are artists that maybe just are very shy. Um, I don't want to single anyone out. There was no. a, a, a winner, a, a big winner over the last past year who, um, struggled a lot with uh how to talk about art <laughs> i just felt i felt so bad for this person uh they were doing they were trying so hard but it just you could tell they were they were struggling and uh we found we found a place for them in a in an upcoming issue which is great but i won't if someone doesn't want to do the podcast or they would feel uncomfortable, we don't right. want to, we don't want to torture them. <laughs> right. Right. And trust me, some of them are like, no, there's no way I'm doing that. I, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> talk to you for 10 minutes. And what's yeah, funny we, is these, some of these artists are, they're really great until there's a microphone in front of them. Yeah. They can talk to you one-on-one, just perfect. Yeah. And then that microphone just, it's, it's so it makes them so nervous. Like the anxiety shoots through the roof and I'm like, I get it. I get it. This is, this was me at the beginning. <laughs> oh, you, so, yeah. you, you stop the record button and all of a sudden they just go on this big spiel. It's like, where, where, where was that? <laughs> where was that I mean, five even, minutes ago? Even the, even the really good ones will be like, oh, man, you know, they'll call me later and be just like, I, I, I should have mentioned this. I should yeah. have mentioned five <laughs> things, but they just, they got nervous. They got flustered. It's like, it happens to everybody. I mean, I'm going to, as soon as this podcast is over, I'm going to go, why didn't I say that? I should. Yeah. <laughs> so what else is coming up? What's next for you and what's next for the publications and magazines and podcasts? Well, uh, yeah. So um, I think and I, I've meant, I've mentioned it so much. I won't dwell on it, but we really, we turn our attention next to March. February and March in Phoenix. Uh, now mm-hmm. Scottsdale is our headquarters. So anything in Phoenix and Scottsdale is right in our backyard. We really turn our attention there as it gets colder everywhere else. All of the art shows move to, uh, you know, more hospitable climates like, uh, <laughs> like Phoenix and Scottsdale, which in, you know, January, February, March are beautiful. It's beautiful here. So we, we do have a lot of shows here in town. We have the market and then we do have an art walk in Scottsdale that is timed. There's a native American themed one that's timed with the herd. And then all of, a lot of the galleries uh, in the Scottsdale area, they do time shows for the herd. So that we really, that's, we're turning our attention to March, I think at this point, although there's lots of great things happening December, January, and uh, in February as well. We just, because of the magazine schedule, we work basically two months out. Correct. So we just finished our January, December issue or excuse me, December, December, January issue. And it wasn't even, it wasn't even November yet. We finished it in October. Right. Right. So, I mean, we're, we're now working on our February, March issue, which is weird because we're not, again, it's, it's November. Right. So we focus on that, (laughs) but I mean, great stuff is coming. I mean, something a little bit uh, further on the horizon. (coughs) 
<clears throat> excuse me, uh, further on the horizon is the the Indigenous Fashion Week in Santa Fe in May. Mm-hmm. That's something that we are really excited about. We're not sure what that's going to quite look like yet. We've been in touch with Swaya, who's putting that on. Uh, you know, we we do their official magazine every year in August for Santa Fe Indian Market. So they're uh, they're a close partner with us, and we partner with them. So it's just a really great relationship. We're waiting to see what May is going to look like. I know that they're still working it all out, but I'm expecting lots of great, uh, you know, obviously runway shows, uh, fashion events, and then just some regular art events. I would imagine that Santa Fe is going to roll out the red carpet for everybody. And there's going to be lots of great events in May in Santa Fe. So that's kind of the next thing. Um, our podcast, um, lot, I mean, lots of good things there, too. I mean, I think we're approaching 250 episodes, which isn't wow. really a milestone, but it's a good number to, to, to look at. So we're just approaching, you know, some, some big numbers there. And we're really excited. Lots of growth with our podcast. We're really happy with it. We hear from more and more people, um, it seems like, all the time who are, are discovering it. And I love hearing from people who are like, yeah, I'm just getting into podcasts. And I had to go back and, and listen to, like, 20 or 30 of your episodes and what they do is, and this is why, this is why I love our podcast so much. And I know that this is um, a foregone conclusion. Of course I would like my own podcast, but like really to be able to like go through and like, maybe you're not interested in American contemporary realism. You can just skip those episodes. I mean, give them a try if you'd like, but really Mm -hmm. like if you're just there for native American artists, you can go through and easily find just like some really, really great stuff. I mean, throughout our, our, our episode history and to have all those just available at any time, you can go back and listen to that Dallin maybe episode, which I think was like episode two or three. Um, in fact, all of our herd, uh, market episodes from March of 2021, those are some of our very, very first episodes. So you can go back and just start going through them one by one and picking, you know, cherry pick the ones you want, the ones that are, you're interested in the artists that you've heard from. It's a lot of fun to, to do that. I do that myself with other podcasts where you like discover a podcast right. and be like, Oh my gosh, just inject this into my veins. I love this so much. <laughs> and you got to go you. back and you got to listen to like, you know, like 40 hours worth of material just to like right. get caught up. But it's great though, because those are the, those are fun podcasts. Absolutely. Well, Michael, this is a time to plug everything. Um, if you want to plug away the publication, the podcast and, Anything and everything else you want to? Well, thank you. Thank you. And I'll I'll do that. Uh, Our podcast is the American Art Collective Podcast. You can find us on uh, basically wherever you can get a uh, a podcast. Uh, I mean, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you go for podcasts, look us up, the American Art Collective Podcast. We also have all of our magazines at International Artist Publishing. Uh, the one that we're focusing on today is Native American Art Magazine, and you can find us at www.nativeamericanartmagazine.com. And of course, there you can see uh, all of our social links, Instagram, Facebook, and you can subscribe, but also see what's kind of coming up uh, on, you know, that, that's, that's coming up in the magazines there. Uh, we do offer print and digital subscriptions um, separately or together. So we, we have a lot of options for our, our readers, we're, we're always excited to have new people come in and, and, uh, and, and follow along. And again, our readers, our goal is to get them to the shows, to have them support artists. We want to show them the best art out there. And that's, that's our goal. That's our goal. 
Ours too. Get the word out and let the people shine that need to shine. Well, thank you, my friend. I appreciate your time and coming on our show today. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you on uh, Beyond the Art. And congrats to you and much success going forward. <laughs> well, thank you, Cray. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. If you enjoy Beyond the Art, you'll love the American Art Collective podcast, hosted by me, Maggie Civic, and Michael Clausen. The American Art Collective invites listeners into the studios of some of the most important artists working today, as well as gallery owners, auction specialists, and curators from around the country. We celebrate their careers and allow them to share their perspectives of the art market, while also keeping you informed on the latest trends within the art world. The podcast also places a special emphasis on Native American artists, which you can hear in our conversations with top artists. Listen now on Apple, Spotify, or Audible.